Let me share with you a little challenge I'm facing. Um, some of you, many of you probably know I had, uh, I tested positive for COVID-19 three months ago, read about it on Thanksgiving. And that first week was a real drag, um, real drag. But the last 12 weeks have continued to be a drag differently um, as I'm having what some are calling right the long haul symptoms. Uh, most notably two things, um, fatigue and uh, some chest pain. And uh, I'm not telling you this because I want your home remedies or your horror stories. <laughs> I have friends who do that for me. Um, I mean, some of you are my friends, but uh, yeah, the, you, when your best friend sends you th these terrifying news articles about what's happening, um, you've already got that covered, and uh, I have the internet too, so I don't need your home remedies either. Um, I would love your prayers. I would love your prayers. I've been appreciative for some um, leadership behind the scenes, either staff or board, and their um, patience with me and my um, I don't have a high gear. I only have a low gear right now. And uh, so it, uh, I don't recommend COVID to anyone, um, as, as those of you who have had it recommend it to nobody as well. So, um, so that's, you know, that's pretty interesting what's going on there. I think we've all wanted to eventually declare the end to a pandemic, and I don't think that I have the authority or knowledge to do that. But one thing we can see that is coming soon, if not here already, and if not already here, the revealing is uh, a mental health pandemic. Um, we're, we're not okay. Um, loneliness does not help anyone. Um, I want to talk about solitude this morning, which is a lot different than loneliness, although it might look the same from the outside. Um, and... I want to talk about solitude because one of the things that is making us very sick is hurry. Hurry is making us very sick. Um, some symptoms of hurry is just trying to do everything faster. Just everything. Try to do everything faster, um, whether it's wash a car, do the dishes. I mean, there's some things we don't want to do slow, right? You gotta eat a frog, eat it fast. But there's some activities that we just don't even enjoy that maybe we used to enjoy. Um, another symptom of hurry is multitasking. You know, uh, TV's on, we're trying to do some homework and eat dinner and talk to the family. Um, psychologists are telling us that multitasking is really a myth. It makes most of us feel better emotionally, that we have this illusion of productivity. Um, so we get this emotional satisfaction, but we're not actually accomplishing anything faster. Um, look that up. You'll find that that's true. Um, clutter is a symptom of hurry. And yeah, clutter in your house is probably an issue of like you're in a hurry and you just buy stuff you don't need. But some of us are surrounded by um, things that we have failed to say no to in our schedule and, and otherwise. And so we're in a great big hurry. And then the cost is um, we've exchanged depth for breath, breadth, um, superficiality. Not supercalifragilistic, but superficiality, right? Um, think about hot and ready pizzas from Little Caesars. They don't say they're good. 
They say they're hot and they're ready and they're $5 something. If, you, if you're new with us this morning and you fill out a guest card and give us your address, we'll send you a, a, a Little Caesars gift card for an extra most bestest because I'm not anti-pizza, but when you think about it, it's not about whether how, how good it is. It's, it's hot and it's ready. And there's so many things in our world today that we have exchanged um, quality for just ease, affordability, and um, it's making us sick. Now, I... I'm not saying that I'm not sick. I watch YouTube videos at 2x um, all the time. If you don't know how to do that, you, are, you should be doing that sometimes. Um, I even have an extension in my uh, Chrome browser that lets me go faster than that. I'll tell you about it if, you, if you're one of these people who does online school and want to speed something up. So I admit it. But one of the things that is difficult if you look at the scripture is it's hard to bring love and hurry together. One of, the, one of the people I look up to in this, and he doesn't even know probably that I look up to and, uh, for him in this, or, or, or at least used to. I used to have, there was this pastor named Tom. Uh, some of you know Tom Schmidt, pastor of pastors in northern Michigan. He's retired now. Whatever that means for a pastor, he's still pastoring. But uh, he was a busy guy. But he would always slow down for people. Just always slow down for people. And I've always thought, like, you know, what would he be doing in this moment? Or am I always just on the move? Because Tom was on the move, but he never seemed to be too hurried for relationships. And I believe that some of you are in a hurry, and you're in a hurry to help other people. You really are. Like, so there's being in a hurry and having evil desires, malice in your heart. And then there's... I think a lot of you who, who really have great desires to, to help other people, um, I don't think you're megalomaniacs. Megalomaniacs are, you know, people with this high inflated uh, self-importance, although some of you have that. Um, and, and I don't think um, many of us mean to be, but I think some of us struggle with codependency. Or we struggle with um, a Messiah complex. I looked up, what does that mean? Because I thought that was the right thing that some of us are struggling with as we are sick with hurry. It's one of the root causes. And somebody defined Messiah complex like this, the desire and compulsion to redeem or save others or the world with the delusion of being divine. Now, maybe that's a little bit of a clinical diagnosis, but you've seen people who feel like they got to save everybody, right? You know who didn't have a Messiah complex as we would define it? Jesus. The Messiah. Uh, certainly he had no delusion about being divine because he truly was. I mean, it, so if you didn't know the answer is Jesus to about half the questions we ask in church. So he didn't have this, this I, I have to hurry around. Jesus had a different pace a whole different pace. And he is the king. And if we are to live in his kingdom, our pace ought to be different. Jesus ordered his life differently. You'd very rarely see Jesus as an example on lifehacker.com of like how productive he is. So we better slow down to his pace. And one of the things that we've connected as we've tried to follow Jesus' example for 2,000 years 
is we've tried to figure out, okay, so his pace was different. What was he doing different? And, and for, for several hundred years, we've figured one of the things we notice about Jesus in the Gospels is his solitude. He would go and he would be alone. One of the first examples that you can see is most of the Gospels talk about him before he initiates his ministry going alone in the wilderness for 40 days. Another example is he hears that his cousin has been killed, John the Baptist being his cousin, and he says, let's go away. Then 5,000 people show up. He feeds them. He dismisses them, then tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to dismiss the crowd. You go on ahead of me. Matthew chapter 14, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And then later, as he's alone, and the boat's already out, out away from land on the water, he just walks out to it. Jesus did solitude. Now, loneliness and solitude should not be confused. One builds, another destroys. But one thing you can notice is Jesus, at least in this Matthew 14 passage, often sought solitude and prayer as more important than sleep. Now, we do see Jesus sleep, some of you could do a lot of, of good by sleeping. It'd be good for your soul, good for your attitude. But some of you would, would do better with a, a night awake with the Lord. And we can talk about that. There are three times that I found, at least three times in the Gospels, where Jesus does seem to have, he either says the word hurry, or he acts with some speed. The first, is, the only time that Jesus says hurry up or make haste is when Zacchaeus is up in a tree. He says, hurry up, I gotta go to your house today. Jesus says, we gotta hurry up and fellowship. Another time, I don't wanna say it's a hurry, but it's interesting. Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, sets out resolutely for Jerusalem. He's heading right for the cross. He's not passive in it one bit. His disciples seem to be lagging behind as it's described there in Mark 10, 32. Come on, guys. We're going to Jerusalem. Don't they know? Don't you know, Jesus, they're trying to kill you? The third time in the Gospels that Jesus describes, tells a story of anything with a hurry. We'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. We look a lot at WWJD, what would Jesus do? Has anybody been around church long enough that you wore a what would Jesus do bracelet? Those should come back. Maybe we'll get some of those. They can't be too expensive. What would Jesus do? What a great question. I know I wore one on my wrist for a while, but one of the things that I would say, if we're going to say Jesus did this, he did this, he didn't do this, we ought to be asking, what wouldn't Jesus do? So just add the apostrophe T if you got a bracelet. Ann Voskamp says, being in a hurry, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry, but a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all the rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time. Turns out, I was throwing it away. So solitude is one of these spiritual disciplines. We're in a series of 
teaching of looking at like, how can I train myself in godliness? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to have a relationship with him as I would have a relationship with people around me? Good relationship with the God of the universe. Well, Jesus, like we said, did solitude. He did it before decision-making in Luke chapter 6 when he was going to choose the disciples. He he spent some time in prayer. Think about it. Think about rather than not sleeping and being restless, what if you would stay up and pray? I don't mean stay up and worry. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. So get God's word out and start focusing on it. But what if there would be a night of travailing in prayer? I like that word. It doesn't even have to be alone, but to say to somebody, hey, will you pray with me all night? Jesus did this. Remember before the crucifixion? He went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. You know, a lot of us believers will call our time with Jesus, a focused time with Jesus each day, a quiet time, highlighting the silence, and others will call it time alone with God, emphasizing the solitude. I don't care what you call it, but you need it. And you might not know how much you need it until you try it. You might not know how much, how bad you need silence, how bad you need solitude until you get to know them. Because in solitude, we get to hear from God. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How few there are people who are still enough to hear God speak. Are you still enough to hear him speak? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I know, um, uh, yeah, I know I've known a family member who emptied a closet in their house to say, you know, because they have little kids, right? And their kids needed to know when mom's in this room because they don't respect the bathroom. (laughs) Kids don't. And so she just said, I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to make a closet. I'm going to close the door. And I'm going to pray to my father who is unseen. I want to hear from him. In solitude, we get to hear from God. In solitude, we get to really speak to God. Now, Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer. Because guess what one of the things you get to do in solitude is? You get to pray. In in 6 verse 7 he says, And when you do pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Without solitude, our prayers may just remain at the surface level. I mean, you might know how to pray, 
to say stuff to God, but to really speak to him about stuff that's not just immediate happenings, not just present moment involvements, but when we carve out time for solitude, even if it's 30 minutes, even if it's 10 minutes, we get to stay in touch with the deeper stuff and pray with the deepest feelings and needs. So solitude, we get to hear from God, we get to speak to God, and we get to know ourselves. And when we spend time in the presence of Almighty God, when we spend time in his word, guess what? You get to bring your Bible to times of solitude. We get to see in his perfect law that gives freedom. When we, get to see, when we spend time with Jesus, we see ourselves. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus told this story, verse 9 says, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So he's talking to people who think they're super religious. So here's what he says. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, Returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thoreau spent a bunch of time at that Walden Pond, a lot of time in solitude. He contended that we can learn more about ourselves in a sleepless night than we can on a trip to Europe. I know some people are like, oh, I want to take a trip to Europe and find myself. You can go to Rotary Park. You can go to, to your living room or, or wherever it is. You don't have to travel the, the heights, do some pilgrimage to, to, to grow in your relationship with the Lord, to know yourself. And in fact, sometimes, and, and then we've been doing this relationship stuff with God long enough that we, we've come up with a phrase for it. I think it was St. John of the Cross who called it the dark night of the soul. And it's not even a bad or destructive thing. It sounds like a night filled with nightmares, right? It can actually be a season. And it, it's not a season. So there's different times where your soul can feel downcast within you and it's your own fault. You've been breaking relationship with God and you haven't been living in fellowship with him. You know what you ought to do and you're not doing it. You're, you're living in sin. That's different. The dark night of the soul seems to be a, like a, a surgery that can be welcomed. St. John called it sheer grace. Oh, guiding night. Oh, night more lovely than the dawn. But there's a temptation in the dark night of the soul. Let me make this, let me, if you didn't already make the connection. A lot of us were forced into um, solitary at different times over the last two years, if you didn't notice. Um, either 
you know, when we were all locked up or when you got an exposure and you had 10, 14, five days, whatever it was, it's been, been a real pain, right? Um, a lot of things you can't do. What if that was God drawing you into the dark night of the soul? And the temptation is, God, release me from it and blame everybody else. Blame the governor, blame my workplace, blame the person who sneezed on me. Or blame the church. The singing's too weak. The preacher's a bore. Find another church that's going to give you spiritual goosebumps. We've got to recognize the dark night for what it is, that God's drawing us away from distractions so we can see him clearly. Rather than chafing against God and fighting, what if you would be still and wait? I would encourage you to spend some time with God at night. He's fun. Some of you are night shift workers, and maybe you're doing it, and you're like, no, he's not. Um, I mean, like, stay up with Jesus. It, you, when you stay up late with friends, it's different. You're different. They might be different. Uh, I mean, God doesn't change, so that doesn't fit really well there, but I would encourage you to spend some time with God at night. Set an alarm. They used to do this, I'm told, before the industrial age, before, you know, we had, you had to get up, throw some more wood on the fire at night. Some of you do this still today. Um, but there would be that time in the night, and Jesus seemed to do it. Maybe we need it. I mean, that should be enough, right? Like, if Jesus did it, we should do it. But um, I tell you, uh, set your alarm. And if somebody is, you don't, like, if you're married to an unbelieving spouse and they don't want anything to do with an alarm at 2 a.m., here's my tip. This is a life hack. Drink a large glass of water before you go to bed. It's quieter, but it works every bit as well as an alarm. You can get up. And, and spend some time with God. Uh, friends, uh, why not? You're, you're, you're wondering what to do. You're lost. You're, you're struggling with depression, anxiety. A lot of those things you need more sleep. Absolutely. But what if you would plan to spend, let's spend the night up with Jesus. We're going to have a sleepover. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the stuff out. When we spend time alone with God, we get to speak to him clearly. We get to listen to him clearly. We get to know ourselves we get to be, um, maybe that's not the way to say it, but we're more valuable to others. Our relationships are often shallow because we don't know ourselves. Solitude is recreating the stillness that's there. Let me get real practical with how this could look like in your day little solitudes that fill your day in the bed before the family gets up a cup of coffee we don't have a lot of this but traffic can be a time of solitude when you're driving alone turn off stupid um, talk radio and just spend time with the Lord so we don't have traffic but we have miles to drive at times 
you got kids in the car, what if you said, let's play a game where everybody has to be quiet? Used to try that one. It works 40% of the time, 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, what if you would find and develop a quiet place? Uh, for some of you, a lunch break at work, like go out to your car. Maybe at home, it's a different place. I would encourage you, the less Wi-Fi signal you have, the better. The less electricity around you, the better. If you have an electric car, just don't turn it on. Uh, find a quiet spot. Find, find a way to make it happen. Um, my mom used to work at a heating and air conditioning company. Don't know why that matters to the story. Setting the scene. And she, um, she's a worker. Man, she's a worker. Get stuff done. But she needs a break. And she felt like she was getting judged for breaks. But what she noticed was everybody who smokes got a break. And so she went out one day and bummed a cigarette off of everybody. She kept that cigarette for the next three years. But she would use it and take her cigarette break every day. She's like, you guys all get cigarette breaks? I'm going to get a break. So she'd go out to her car with a cigarette in hand. I wonder what she did with it. But I mean, she found, she knew that you got to develop a quiet place. That's daily, but what if three or four times a year you would plan for just an afternoon with God to take some time off work, reorient your life, or stay late at the office? Maybe for some of you, the office can be a quiet place after hours. Or go to the library. Nobody reads anymore. Just go to the library. Find a quiet spot three, four times a year. Reorient your life. Take it. So one other tip for, for solitude. I know some of us are beginners at it. Bring some paper with you and a pen. Two reasons you might need it. One, once you sit down and quiet yourself, you're going to think of everything that you forgot. It's crazy but it happens. Like just everything you forgot will come racing to your mind. Just write it down. That's not for now, but you can write it down. Thank God for it, whatever. Pray about it, but that's not for now. Others of you, journaling will happen in solitude. Your heart will flow out through your pen. Don't recommend a keyboard unless you're disciplined to use airplane mode. Just... Just bring some paper. Is this, is this practical enough? Um, set a timer. You'll be surprised. You think you, 15 minutes can do a lot. It really can. Um, you might be like, wow, it's only been seven minutes. You can slow down your life a little bit. Um, and you'll become more valuable to others. Those kids, your spouse, your coworkers, solitude—it's—it's um, it's part of the cure, I think, for hurry. It's more than that. So, it's growing your relationship with God. It's getting into His kingdom pace, and 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 marching to the beat of a drummer who knows what the pace ought to be. So Jesus three times has maybe the word hurry around him. Hurry up, Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. Um, come on, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. The third time, we have no other way to read it, but the parable of the prodigal son. 
And in the parable of the prodigal son, there is a son who has run away from his father. The father is God, the father is Jesus, right? Like that's, that's the easy interpretation. It's not hard to find. And finally, this son who has gone away from home comes to his senses um, in the monotony of feeding pigs and the disgrace of feeding pigs. He comes to his senses and um, he starts home. And the scripture says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And then it says something that would have surprised the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to. Might not surprise us. Maybe it would. It says, the father started running for the boy. If God is ever in a hurry, it's to welcome back people who have been in such a hurry and desensitized and have finally come to their senses, he runs. The Jewish, it would have been a surprise because fathers don't run. Maybe, maybe your own kids would be surprised to see you run. But we should not be surprised to see our Father in heaven run. Many of you already knew that. If we're going to have a heart like his, you are going to find yourself hurrying up to get in fellowship with other people and to see people come back to their father. We're going to end our service with communion today. Um, while we're gathering the elements, doing some of that, do not be in a hurry. We must... I think it's Dallas Willard who said it. John Ortberg in the book that some of you are reading um, quotes him, says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We are not going to be in a hurry this morning. But as we gather communion, um, there's a song. I don't know how old it is, but I really like the version that uh, a group called Shaded Red did of this song. It... Um, I found it on YouTube and uh, there's a video you know, anybody can put anything on YouTube I don't even know what Jesus video they put as the background for this song um, but I know two things one there's a great scene in it and it kind of repeats um, so as you're grabbing stuff you won't miss the scene of a father and son embracing um, but the uh, what was I going to say? The other thing about it, it's pretty cheesy. Um, and, oh yeah, it, uh, I, I don't always, when I hear music, I don't learn the words. I have to see the words. So if you don't know this song, which many of you probably won't, um, pay attention to the words of this song, When God Ran. And um, as it's playing, grab communion, hold on to it, and then when we've all received it, we'll take of this meal together. Um, if you're a believer, you know what to do. This is a meal for you. Reminds us of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. It reminds us of his death and that he's coming again. If you're not a believer, this is one of the ways that you can walk towards your father. You can come his direction. And so there's a stack of cups. Just grab one stack of two. Or if you want one of the sealed ones in the center, you can grab that. Um, let me pray, 
and then we'll hit play on the song. Father, thankful, thankful we are that you minister to us when we're together, and I'm, I'm thankful for your word and, and just how time and again um, throughout the Gospels we see Jesus, a message from heaven to us, showing us a different pace, and part of that pace was time alone, time in the morning, time in the night. We see Jesus asleep in the boat during a storm. Father, we're thankful for, for God with flesh on that we can learn from, understanding our own frailties and our own needs and what it looks like to, um, to be in relationship with you. So, Father, help us to grow in relationship with you. We, we talked last week about celebration. We talked this week about solitude. We talked next week, I think, about prayer. What we want to not, what we want to achieve, Father, is, is not a church that talks about how to be trained in godliness. We want to be godly. We want to be walking in these disciplines, these rhythms of grace. So, Father, thank you for them. Thank you that it's not rocket science. It can look different for each one of us, but it sure needs to have a lot of time speaking and listening to you. Speaking to you, listening to you. Father, would we find this week that hurry, it grieves your spirit. The only time that we ought to be running is, is towards those who, who need to come into relationship with you. May we not be slouching the works of redemption. Remind us of redemption this morning through the, through the bread, through the cup. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.